Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we just wanted to let you know that there is a new episode of our patron only podcast, The Netherworld Dispatch, waiting for you right now, where we talk about freaky holiday movies that have weird scenes that kind of fall into the horror category, even though they're technically not. Yeah, uh, we had a really good time watching these clips and reacting to them. You can hear the audio from the movies themselves in the show, something that we cannot do on this feed. It really pushed us to our limits. Here, take a listen to this. All right, so they're taking off and leaving that child in the snow, it's looking like. Oh, my God. He's stumbling. He's running He's alongside the train. He's sucked under the train. <laughs> Look, he fell oh, in the snow. No. I hate this. You know, Christmas movies are so often sad. How many? There are so sad. Why do we have to? I thought you were going to say, why do we have them? Yeah, why do we have them? Why do we have to do this? <laughs> oh, my God. Screw that kid. He couldn't run as fast as the train. Oh, my God. He doesn't God. get the toys. He doesn't get the lap of luxury. Can't he doesn't you get look. Tom Hanks weighing on him hand and foot. I understand you, you want to be faster, schmaltzy. Do we? I get it. Be schmaltzy without bumming me out first. No. I was pissed. I was on one. Yeah, you were really feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I was. So head on over to patreon.com slash pod and sign up at the Netherworld Warrior level for $4 or more per month to get access to the Netherworld Dispatch, a whole separate monthly podcast. Yeah, you're going to get that show. You're going to be able to hear the rest of that. Plus, every previous show that's already there. There's a whole community going on on patreon.com slash pod. Check it out. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And this week, we are sailing the high ski skis seas for scary stories. By taking it to the water. Yep. <laughs> Scaling the, the high skis, taking it to the water. We're going to jump off the edge. We're going to take a long walk off a short pier. This right. week on Guide to the Unknown, we're going to cover only things that are uh, uh, localized in the ocean, maritime, shipwrecks. We each have a shipwreck, and we each have some nautical spookiness to discuss. That's right. We absolutely do. And I'm going to kick things off by talking about the crash of the SS Morrow Castle in Asbury Park, New Jersey. William, do you know anything about this? Have you done like a ghost tour in Asbury Park where they talked about this and it rings a bell or anything? Well, didn't we do a ghost tour together there? Yes, we yes. did. So, um, yeah, I, uh, here's what I remember about the ghost tour that we took in Asbury Park probably – I don't know, like six years ago. It was, Maybe. It, was a, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I remember that our tour guide um, had the greatest delivery of all time. I think she was wearing a cape and that as she finished each story, because, you know, you go on a tour, she stops at a point of interest and tells us a tale about it. And then we march off to the, to the next one. She would finish every story with something of a flourish by just sort of being like, and they say... You can still see their spirits in that window to this day. Mm. And then she would undermine the spookiness that she ended with her story by then picking up her portable water bottle and holding it in her mouth. Yeah. So she would just sort of like bite onto the top of it 
and without another word, just turn and walk away and didn't be like, all right, come on, let's go to the next place. We'll just wander off and we all be like, oh, I guess we, I guess it's continuing. I don't know. I don't know why she's not using her hands to carry her water bottle either. I, I don't know. I know. That's I, I retained nothing. I was so distracted by our tour guide's idiosyncrasies. I remember nothing of what she told us. Did you know? Did you know stuff before you did Only the research? Only extremely vaguely for the same reason. <laughs> right? It was You're absolutely right. She would like clench the straw of her water bottle in her mouth, hands free, and turn heel <laughs> and take us to the next place. And it wiped everything else there's also i don't know if you remember this there was also a gentleman with her who was kind of like he was also staff i don't know if he was almost kind of like i don't know just backup or security so that you as a tour guide aren't alone with a group of strangers yeah and during not all of them to be fair but during several stories he got bored and he was kind of dressed in sort of like a period regalia thing and he had a walking stick and do you remember that he was walking and kicking the walking stick, walking back and forth behind her as she was telling a story at at least one location? Oh There's just like God. a bored guy kicking an old timey walking stick. Just as- bopping it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, they now that you say it, I, I sort of remember it. I I would have probably said that he like sat down. Like he took, did that took a too. Load but off. He he definitely took a lot load off, but then he would just be like restless and just kind of yeah the showmanship fun. the showmanship of this tour was all over the place they had costumes it's across and then yeah. everything else was wrong <laughs> you don't want to good rule of thumb if you're running a haunted tour you don't want to emphasize how weird you are and how bored your like bodyguard is <laughs> you want the stories to seem exciting that's my my to gut, take center stage. My gut feeling is that you want this to seem positive and interesting. It was all over the map. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. I remember nothing. <laughs> That's all I remember is that they were weird. I vaguely remembered that there was something to do with a shipwreck in Asbury Park. Okay. Um, I've also done I've done a couple of haunted tours. Uh, that was only one of them. I think I've maybe done two more. I've done at least one other one that was a haunted pub tour. Mm. And I think that we've spoken about it or that we spoke about the shipwreck on all the tours that I went on. Uh, the one we went on was the only one that I remember being weird uh in that way the other ones i remember thinking were like very sweet but anyway i had a vague recollection there was a shipwreck associated with asbury park yes and when i looked into it i found out that there's a connection to last week's episode in that an episode of kindred spirits which we talked about last week um because one of the co-hosts of kindred spirits wrote a book that was the inspiration for us talking about the uh the omni hotel they visited asbury park last year in an episode oh, okay. um, to investigate both the convention center and the Paramount theater, which are said to be haunted as a result of the crash of the SS Morrow castle. Okay. So I will get into that a little bit later, but let's set up what actually happened with the aid of somebody we have spoken about on guides, to the unknown before Kathy Kelly of paranormal books and curiosities in Asbury park, New Jersey has a podcast called The Paranormal Tower where she spoke about this case. And she also appears in the Kindred Spirits episode, which oh, was very that right? cool. Oh, that's yes. so cool. 
Yes, she does. So this is basically information that is cobbled together from Kathy's Paranormal Tower episode, which is linked in the show notes, and her appearance on Kindred Spirits. And I'll put a little mustard on top by telling you what they found during their TV show investigation. Dynamite. Okay. So the SS Morrow Castle was a ship that was a luxury cruise line for like rich people. And it was like, it was like a special event kind of thing, which I guess all cruises are. Um, and it traveled from New York to Havana, Cuba and just went back and forth that way. And the catastrophe happened right where the building is that houses the Paramount Theater and the Convention Hall. So if you've been to Asbury Park before, you might be able to picture it. It's kind of on the end of one of the boardwalks. And it's this big structure that has an indoor hall where they sometimes have shops. They sometimes have like cons and stuff. I've been there like a ton of times in life. Will, have you been there before? No. Okay. Um, It's also where like the beach bar is kind of on the end of it. Just to give people who might be local to the area a little bit of perspective. So this ship beached after it was engulfed in flames right there in 1934. So on September 8th of 1934, this ship was just hours from the end of the trip. Like it was a, it was on its way to dock again in New York when the ship caught fire at sea and it eventually beached right outside the Paramount theater and the convention hall. The ship as a whole had 538 passengers and crew. And that night, like it was just this weird thing where like a million things went wrong. And at first it seemed like maybe it was just terrible coincidence, but there are some people who say that this may have been by design, but basically there was supposed to be a customary party for the last night before they docked where passengers got all dressed up and they had a good time. This was during Prohibition, 1934. So in America, you couldn't have alcohol, but because they were on the open seas, enjoying maritime law, the rules didn't apply. Mm. So they were going to have like a blowout on the last night before they had to dock again and then deal with Prohibition again. Take to the seas. Exactly. You take to the seas. Take to the drink if you want to have a drink. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, But the party didn't happen because news spread that the captain of the ship, who was like really popular, everybody really liked him, Captain Robert Wilmot, had died in his cabin of apparently a heart attack. So they decided not to have the party because that's devastating. And the mood on the ship was like totally down. It had been up high. They're at the end of their vacation. They're having like a party. They're all dressed up. And they're like oh my God, this is horrible. Let's not have the party. We'll just all retire to our rooms and we'll just dock. And that's kind of the end of it. So it was kind of going out on a down note. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then later, late, late that night slash early morning, a fire started in the library of the ship. First of all, I think it's awesome that there was like a library slash reading room of the ship. I know. I love the idea of a ship less as, you know, a boat itself and more of a floating mansion. The idea that it would have, I know, all those rooms where, yeah, I mean, a library, a billiard table or something, like a game room on a ship, something like that. Love it. It, It's really hard for me to even conceive of because I've never been on a cruise before. I've only been on a boat, I think, once. I know forever it was that I'd never, ever been on a boat before. Mm -hmm. And then that happened. I can't remember what it was, but in the last couple of years, I think. Um, I just can't even conceive of how massive this has to be that you have a library. I know it's a normal thing, but as I said last week, I, I considered going on a haunted cruise. It didn't happen, 
maybe one day I'll be able to wrap my mind around these things. That'd be fun. Yes. So anyway, um, later that morning, a fire started in the library of the ship and they underestimated how bad it was. Like they put word to the acting captain, I guess, who had been kind of like the co-captain and he was like, okay, we'll put it out. But he didn't really like, I don't know, get like a lot of hustle on it. They thought it was just kind of like a small contained fire. And so because of it, it spread and it ended up being just chaos because they had safety instructions at the beginning of the cruise, the same way you would on an airplane or something like that. But the guests didn't really pay super attention to the safety instructions because it was one of those, what are the chances sort of things? Just like when you're on an airplane and they're going through the safety thing, you're like, all right, I got it. You know, I know what right. to do. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, if you quizzed me, do I know exactly what's supposed to ha- happen on the airplane? I probably know vaguely, but also in the melee of something like that, I'm sure a lot goes out of your mind. So the passengers aren't really adhering to the safety instructions um, and chaos is just totally breaking out and the members of the crew didn't handle it well. They were apparently super negligent even on top of not containing the fire fast enough. Um, There were lifeboats on the ship, but they were going out only a fifth full. Oh, The, the SOS was sent out too late. There were just all these wrong moves. And so when all of this ended, there were some survivors, some members of the crew, and um, they were initially found criminally, criminally, criminally <laughs> liable. Wow. I was combining yeah, criminally, criminally liable and, is yeah. a complicated two word phrase. Yes. They were criminally liable for this being such a disaster because they didn't take action the way that they should have. And later on the convictions were overturned, but like there were some major F ups that led to this happening. It was one of those things where it's, you know, it's kind of easy to say, but people say this didn't, this shouldn't have happened this way. Right. Um, Now here is an interesting thing. And this is definitely something that I wanted to go down a rabbit hole about, but I had to sort of back off. There was a radio officer on board the ship, whose name was George Rogers William. Oh, no. Yes. Bringing dishonor to our name. Yeah. Um, who at first was lauded as a hero because he stayed at his post as the radio officer for a long time, even as things burned around him, even as his fingers started to burn, to send out SOS calls. So at first they were like, this guy was trying his best. He was doing the damn thing. But then later on, there were rumors that he killed the captain, that the captain hadn't actually just died of a heart attack in his cabin that nobody witnessed or anything, and then started the fire himself. Oh, my God. He also later was accused of killing a police officer named Vincent Doyle using a bomb, so an incendiary device, another fire thing. And then George Rogers later on went to jail for murdering a couple for their money. Damn. So it was never proven that he definitely was behind the murder of the captain and the burning of the ship. But all, I mean, he did a lot of other bad stuff. And so all of this makes people look back in hindsight and wonder if this accidental tragedy wasn't such an accident. Yeah. Accidentally, George Rogers definitely did it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the only thing is, like I said, I, I wanted to go into a little bit more, but I don't totally know to what end he did this. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was just maybe he was just a bad dude who had this kind of streak. I mean, I, I you know, I'm not sure why he killed the police officer using a bomb. Right. Um, there's a there's a clear motive of money for him murdering this other couple, but I, I really don't know. And well, there's no yeah. 
there's no conclusion. We don't know for sure what happened. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Undeniably, we the Rogers do have a bit of a dark streak. I am also, we the Rogers are also firebugs of a sort. Are we? We love to look at a flame, do we not? I mean, we do. You're not wrong. Think about us staring into a fire. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, that's, that sounds like a joke. No, that like literally, um, Will and I have had uh, like, you know, um, you know, campfire things at our houses, and Will and I just like to just look into the flame. You mean a fire pit? Yeah. <laughs> we don't like make a campfire. Like, are you afraid of the dark? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> fire pit. But yeah, it is. It is quite beautiful. The, the power of the flame. It's actually my background is the power of the flame right now. Is that right? Yes, my phone background. Actually, I played. Grand- oh wow! It's the flame. Yeah, just is fire. The- burning embers of a fire that we had backyard in the backyard in a fire pit straight up fire phone um Mm -hmm. yeah bobby and i played grand theft auto online last night together for the first time in months and really the only thing we did was set cars on fire and then walk slowly through them dramatically see so if george rogers is anything like will and Kristen rogers (laughs) yeah i don't know about this i caused a major catastrophe in los santos so maybe i did inherit (laughs) some of this uh fire bug from our ancestor george Right. A little something. Uh So all in all, at the end of the day, out of the 500-something passengers on the boat, crew and guests, 137 people were killed. Wow. So this was like a weird, grisly plus for Asbury Park because this crash ended up like doing a lot for the local economy. It became a huge tourist attraction. Hmm. There were, you know how you get those like pressed pennies at like um, what's called rest stops and stuff like that. There were pressed pennies with pictures of the ship on them. There were postcards. It was to date at that time, the biggest tourist attraction in Asbury park history, 20,000 people in very short succession, just like, made their way to Asbury Park to check out the site of this crash. That's crazy. And because of all the traffic, the Garden State Parkway was created. Oh, my because God. Because they needed better roadway systems in order to get to Asbury Park to just kind of like gawk at the site of where this horrible thing happened. Um, it wasn't all just gawkers. Like, the the ship went into flames while it was still, you know, out at the ocean and they were trying to make their way to a beach to to dock and get the living people off of the ship. So people were waiting on the shore for the ship to beach so that there, there could be help before it even made its way there. So there were people in Asbury Park. And actually, Kathy Kelly shows a picture of this at the time um, when she's on Kindred Spirits of people just waiting on the beach for the flaming ship to come in so that they could help the people on it. Um, because the radio told them that it would be beaching there. So they just like went to kind of come and help. So like I said, there were people who just kind of went to gawk at something that was really morbid and grisly. There were also like Mr. Roger says a lot, a lot of helpers and maybe because of the gawking, there are people who say that Asbury park is cursed and Kathy Kelly on the podcast Paranormal Tower wonders if kind of the ghoulishness of all the commerce and all the touristy stuff after the crash created some sort of ca- karmic debt 
that maybe the city had to pay down over time. So like Asbury Park had this real boom of activity. And then there was a long period later in the century where Asbury Park was super run down. Like it did not have a lot of business. It was like a poor, poor, poor town. And could that have been in relation somehow to the grossness of dining out on all of these deaths? That's Who interesting. Knows? Yeah. It's it, an interesting, yeah. Is it like a, a wave though? Is it like the ebb and flow of, yes. you know, major boom? There's nowhere to go but down when Certainly. so many people flock to you. It's not going to continue to of course more and more. Totally. But it's an interesting way to think about it in a paranormal way. Yeah, definitely. And though Asbury Park like entered into some sort of deal with the devil. Like we'll let you have a lot of prosperity and success right now for doing this thing, but it's going to go away. Right, yeah. Um, so today, some people say that you can hear kind of a moan coming from the sea in the area where the ship was beached and that you can hear the creak of the ship if you're listening just right. Oh, wow. The way that the ship ended up leaving the beach is also very interesting because it's not there now, obviously. If you go there, there is a memorial for the SS Morrow Castle in Asbury Park, but you're not going to see pieces of the ship on the beach or anything like that. What they did to take it away is that the wreckage was attached to another ship with like a tether to drag it away through the sea to somewhere else to deal with it however you would deal with these things. But because the ship was burning for so long, it was either five or seven days that the ship took to burn out enough for even people to be able to go into it and recover bodies and things like that. So the ship retained, if not actual flames, heat for a long time and the heat still emanating from the ship as the other one was dragging it away with this tether caused the cord to break a few hours after you know out to sea and the ship sank to the bottom of the sea but it's in a strange spot it's not just anywhere if everybody is correct and people have studied this and used interesting tools to do so it seems to be resting right above an immigrant ship that sank called the new era about a hundred years earlier. So what people seem to think is that there is the new era ship, a hundred years of sand and debris and whatever is going on at the bottom of the sea. And then the SS Morrow castle is on top of it. That's so weird. It's very weird. I like, yeah, the, 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 the sort of gracefulness of that as a legend or serendipity event. Um, and also the the tragedy of two ships that, you know, a boat is meant to give some sort of, like, promise, right? Like, I guess mm-hmm. if the Moro Castle was really sort of just like a, a pleasure cruise kind of thing. Yes. It was supposed to mean good times. Or, yeah. you know, sometimes there, there are uh, ships that are, like, taking you to a new place to start a new life. And so it's a weird, like, broken promise. Mm-hmm. Like, at the bottom of the ocean floor stacked Uh, it's so odd it's very very strange um so if you're interested in learning more about that you should head to the paranormal bookstore in asbury park again we'll have a link to just the general website in the show notes the paranormal bookstore tours usually go into the story um of the ss moore castle and like i said most tours i've had from there have been exemplary and wonderful. So I highly recommend them. That's also where Will and I went to um, the seance that we talked about in, on an earlier episode that was actually conducted by Kathy Kelly, the yeah, owner of the that Paranormal was, that was wonder- If you've not heard the, the seance episode, go check it out. That is like one of my favorite things that we've done. 
Absolutely. So quality out the wazoo. Still chasing hear- that high. Oh, me too. Woo. Um, and we're going to hear more from Kathy in this next segment. So Kindred Spirits, the TV show, um, were there on the 85th anniversary of the crash. They went to Asbury Park to investigate this stuff. Now, they went to check out the Paramount Theater and the convention center or the convention hall. I, too, was once supposed to do a ghost investigation of the Paramount Theater many years ago with my friend Sarah. We were on our way to Asbury Park in separate cars, and there was some sort of humongous traffic accident that made both of us extremely late, and we didn't make it. It was oh. supposed to be with Kathy Kelly and the Paranormal Bookstore. You blew it. Um, I blew it. I know. And I, you you like couldn't catch up with them later. You had to meet them at the store and go over for safety reasons. I couldn't just like bust into the Paramount Theater an hour late. Um, <laughs> here so I am. Such a bummer. Yeah, I'm here now <laughs> while they're doing – because it wasn't just a ghost tour. We were going to be doing an investigation. Yeah. It was like a cool th- – it was such a bummer. But anyway – um. So the Kindred Spirits team at went to check, to check it out. This is Adam and Amy. They have heard, or they had heard, that staff the theater had seen shadows, heard voices, and that people were scratched and pushed. So they spoke to a couple of people who worked there. Jason Dermer said that all of the lights are on the same circuit in the actual theater, but some of them will individually turn off and on, which shouldn't make any sense. Um, And when you're in the theater, you're about 300 feet away from where the ship was beached. And they used the theater as well as the convention hall as a makeshift morgue for people who were killed. So they were bringing in bodies off of the ship and laying them on the stage in the theater for loved ones to hopefully identify Um, But some people were unidentifiable. They also kind of had a makeshift hospital in these areas. Mm. So there's a lot of action that's actual and real. There's a lot of history there that, I mean, that sounds tailor made for hauntings to occur. If that's something you believe in, um, in the convention center, people see apparitions, um, things turn on and off toilets are flushing that should not be flushed, you know, ghost stuff. Um, stage tech Justin Cochran said that he saw one time when he was on the stage in the Paramount Theater saw a shadow person come out of the floor up the wall on one side come over him and whoever he was with and then go down the other side of the theater and through the wall Oh wow! and then just 30 seconds after that or something another employee ran into the room and said something just grabbed them <laughs> so it seemed like it went through the wall and grabbed somebody and then that yeah. person came in and was like god what the hell i just felt something weird and they were like i just saw a, uh. um very very strange i love that and when that happened it was around the same time of year so it was kind of close to the anniversary of the crash um justin said there was another time when he was well anyway, i want to note this he was taking a shower okay in the dressing room okay uh, the dressing room ad- of the theater yes okay in ghost adventures adventures i mistakenly thought somebody was taking a shower at their work yeah it was like a prison it was like a i was fortress. ridiculed i was ridiculed for this it makes more sense for there to be a shower at a theater where the performers are preparing i than- was ridiculed and i consider this <laughs> yeah, vindication this is not vindication this is a separate <laughs> matter Kristen B. William, a different, a totally different court case. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, okay. So he was taking a shower in a dressing room at the theater and he heard the sound of little girls giggling because there was an urban legend that there had been a fire up in the dressing rooms of this theater where two girls were trapped mm. and died subsequently. Um, so he heard the sounds of girls giggling. There was an employee named Don McLean who felt a burning sensation when he was in the theater and he looked down and saw that he had scratches on his arm. He said something about them out loud. Like what the hell is this? And then he was shoved. He turned around to see what just shoved him. And he saw shadows moving along the back wall of the theater. Oh my God. Very strange. Twas I who shoved you now shut up. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, so Adam and Amy from Kindred Spirits asked who they think is haunting this. Do they think that the ghosts from the ship are haunting the theater? Do they think it's people who worked in theater? You know, what's the deal? Don said he thinks it's people from the ship. Justin said that he thinks that if you're in the dressing room, it must be the two girls who died there. But if you're in the theater specifically or the basement, it must be people who died on the SS Morrow Castle. Now, something interesting that came from this is that on Kindred Spirits, they really have an emphasis on um, research and like backing up the stories and urban legends that people have heard. And they found that the story about the two girls dying in a fire there is totally false. Oh, it, it, it never happened. Um, there was a fire there in 1986. That was not a big deal. It was not a fire in the 1930s where two girls died. And so it definitely goes to show you the power of suggestion in these things. This this guy said he was in the dressing room area taking a shower and heard two girls giggling. You know, it was probably because of the story. He was kind of primed for it. Right, so. yeah. Yeah, it's like confirmation bias, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm expecting to hear two girls giggling, even yes. on a subconscious level. And so I'm yeah. sort of manifesting it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, So now in the show, they go to Kathy Kelly. And something that I thought was interesting that was like a little bit of TV weirdness and fudging the numbers is that repeatedly in voiceover, the same way they've done on Ghost Adventures, in Kindred Spirits, they keep saying we are the first paranormal team who has ever been allowed in here. When I know that's not true, because I was supposed to go on a paranormal investigation there that they held on the regular. Interesting. Also, they don't mention Kathy Kelly op- uh, owning the panor- Paranormal Books and Curiosity store at all. Really? Being a paranormal investigator herself at all, they refer to her as a historian. Huh. I thought it was this – I don't get it. It's like weird, like, erasure kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. They it, wanted it to be the – They wanted the only team in town. Yeah, if you have the loudest voice, and you do because yes. you're the, the television people – you can claim that you're the first. You can it's you can rewrite the history. Weird. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it seems pointed. Like, not only did they say we're the only paranormal team that's ever been in here, which I know isn't true, mm-hmm. they also interviewed somebody whose whole deal is paranormal stuff and didn't say a peep about it. I actually found it very disappointing. I was like, oh. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. They she didn't... literally owns a paranormal bookstore right. in Asbury Park, and you call her just a historian? They didn't see you coming. No, they didn't see me coming. No. They didn't want to be fact-checking. Now, them. finally, there's a voice even louder here to correct the record. Finally. <laughs> here I am, people. Don't worry, Kathy. What are you waiting back. for? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but Kathy, even though they don't give her 
her paranormal do, she does um, give them some cool information. So she shows them a newspaper from the day after the crash that lists the victims' names, but she points out that the ship was still burning the day after Mm. it went to shore, so it wasn't complete. And um, she shows them the picture of the people waiting on the shore for the ship to come in. So for the investigation portion of it, they use like light grid, uh, light grid while talking to spirits, like we've talked about on the show before. Yeah, um, it just kind of casts a still grid of points of light, and hopefully, if something moves, it'll cause those lights to ripple, so you can tell it's there. Um, and they use that to see if there's any movement. And Adam says that he sees one of the clearest shadow figures he's ever seen, and then they hear a door open. So did it? Did it? like ripple across and then go out the door. Right. They're not sure. They also hear a male voice with the naked ear, not an EVP. They don't get EVPs like at all. The the whole episode, they're like, this place is surprisingly quiet. We're, we're not getting anything. Like we saw, we saw a shadow, but we're not getting anything recorded. Um, they do finally get what they think might have been a shadow figure on a still cam and they decide to bring in reinforcements. They bring him a man, Chip Coffee, <laughs> to see what he can do. Yeah. So they do, like, basically, a, I thought this was very cool, actually. They do, like, a giant Estes Method session. So William and I did the Estes Method on an episode of the Paranormal Dispatch, which is our Patreon podcast. We've also talked about it on the podcast before. It's this method of trying to communicate with ghosts while eliminating other factors. So one person asks the questions, another person has headphones on that are noise canceling and they're listening to a vice called a spirit box that is flipping through radio stations really rapidly. And the listener with the headphones on can pick out snippets of words, say those out loud and hopefully what they're saying out loud happens to correspond with the question that was asked meaning that um, a ghost has manipulated these airwaves into answering the questions. If you watch our Another World Dispatch to see us do the Estes method, you're going to see like how it can be simultaneously really encouraging and interesting and mm-hmm. also how much it requires you to sift through noise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, just to, to sort of like establish, like you can see us do it and really get a sense of it. It's really a really interesting process and something that I would like to do again. Me too. I think it's so awesome. It was developed by Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Randall, who worked at the Stanley Hotel mm. in Estes, Colorado. And that's why it's called that. So what they do here is they they do this really cool session. They have Adam basically is asking the questions of Amy, who is outside on the beach, thinking maybe she can get some better results out there doing the SB7 thing with the headphones on. And Chip is in the theater doing the same thing. So Adam is asking questions out loud. He, uh, Amy and Chip can't hear the questions, but Adam can talk to crew who can say like, okay, tell them to come in when it's over or something. Um, it's like somewhat fruitful, some not, somewhat not. It's not perfect. He asks about names and Amy is answering using names. He asks for a number and she says the number 11. But then there are also things like, can you answer yes or no? Were you on the ship? And Chip and Amy are both delivering like non sequiturs that don't make any sense. Right. So from this, their conclusion was that it seemed like on the beach where Amy was, 
that there may be spirits who were responding in some, some way about the shipwreck who knew what he was talking about and kind of got it and were surprised. They said some things that indicated that they were surprised that somebody could hear them and talk to them. Chip, who was inside the theater where they hadn't gotten any EVPs or anything, wasn't often syncing up with answers about the ship, but seemed to be getting just like hodgepodge other of other information coming out. So they f- ended up feeling like the theater might be haunted, but it's not just by ha- haunted by people who were part of the shipwreck. It probably is also haunted by people who have attachments to the theater for whatever reason, but that the beach seems to have a lot of spirits and unsurprisingly who are attached to it after the shipwreck. Interesting. And it was interesting to watch. It was a fun episode. Again, if you're local, it's fun to see all this stuff on the TV show. And um, I really enjoyed learning about, the SS Morrow Castle. I really didn't remember much about it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting story that I really I could not have told you a single thing about it. Mm-hmm. But it is so kind of close, you know. Like I I think I actually maybe you know when you asked me if I had been to that area, I said no. But like I have been there, just not much. Mm-hmm. Like I I would like to to spend more time there or cover more of the Asbury Park stuff because it is something that we have access to. It's awesome. I mean, it's only like 40, 45 minutes away. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool place. There are a lot of old preserved buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love Asbury Park. There used to be a skate, uh, what do you call it? Like a skate park or whatever, where they also had shows there. So I would go there. And yeah. that, that's closed down. You can't go inside it, but you can at least still look at the outside. It kind of looks like a carousel. It's kind oh, of iconic yes, Asbury yes, Park. Yes. Um, it's a very, very cool area. So it's worth looking into if you are in the tri-state area. Yeah, that's fun. Fun fact. Yeah. Ian Coletti of Blackwood, the show that I wrote, is mm-hmm. from Asbury Park. Very cool. Do with that what you will. You know what I, I'll do? Real. I'm reeling from that information. I'm mind blown. He had to be from somewhere. Woo. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he, play, he played Brian. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. He's also on the show Preacher. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. So I'm going to uh, talk about some sailor superstitions and stuff and then get into my own shipwreck this week. Uh, right. But before we do that, here on Guide to the Unknown, we would really, really appreciate your support. You can do a few things if you're enjoying this show right now. Consider writing a post to your friends. Write something on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, letting them know about Guide to the Unknown and where to get it. You can uh, uh, write articles about what all your favorite podcasts are, and maybe, hey, Guide to the Unknown is on that list. You can also go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review to tell the entire world what you think of Guide to the Unknown. And the bonus side effect of that is that not only does that improve our standing in the world of podcasts, but there's also a chance that I will read your positive review, just like I'm going to read this recent review from Artemna, uh, saying, Dynamic Duo. Y'all remind me so much of my brother and I in the best way, right down to Will's contagious laugh, though I'm not exactly on par with Kristen's amazing fashion sense. Thanks for the continuous fun stories and banter. Five stars. Oh my, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, consider spreading the word of Guide to the Unknown. Also, if you're into this show, there's more to be had. Not only do we have a gigantic archive of stories, things that we've done where we went out on location. Like we mentioned, we did our, you know, Will and Kristen went to a seance 
episode at the Paranormal uh, Bookstore in Asbury Park. But we've covered the real stories behind movies like The Conjuring. We have talked about, you know, creatures like the Loch Ness Monster. Um, There's a ton to be had in the back catalog of Guide to the Unknown and even more exclusive shows on patreon.com slash gttu pod for the low, low, low price of four dollars a month. Feel free to change that four into like a nine nine nine. I don't know. Ooh. See how many nines you can fit. Someone did do six 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 recently, which I thought was very awesome. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You showed me that. Um you can get access to a bunch of exclusive posts from us. Uh, chiefly among them are podcast episodes. We've got a whole exclusive podcast called The Netherworld Dispatch. Uh, if you're listening to this episode as it comes out, we just dropped a brand new episode on the 13th this month where Kristen and I watched some holiday classic movies and reacted in horror at what we saw. Kristen, Kristen more so than me. I flipped. Kristen. I flipped. Because it sounds fun. You're like, oh, they're freaky movies. They're always sad. Christmas movies are always sad. It's so wild. We watched a bunch of different versions of A Christmas Carol to see the different kinds of ghosts. So Mm -hmm. we watched Muppet Christmas Carol and Scrooged. And uh, uh, we also watched other holiday movies like The Polar Express, which had Kristen literally, literally, I would call it yelling. You were you were irate for a moment, and like fun fact, fun fact, you can see a clip of it at least if you're not on Patreon. Go to at GTTU Pod on any of the things, and we've posted a clip from the show where Kristen flips out at it, which is awesome. As that happened, right as Kristen is screaming about how sad this is, and she's going, "Why do we have to do this?" Why well, she's so upset. I got I started getting texts from Allie, my wife upstairs, going. This is so like just like ha 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 ha. Kristen is so angry, and like she could hear her like all the way upstairs. Like you gotta check it out. It was it was great. I didn't even use my words right. I said like I used the word there instead of they. I can't remember what I was saying, but it like doesn't make sense. There are so sad. I said there are so sad. Yeah, Yeah. you're so worked up about it. You were like something else took over, like a dark Kristen. I could get into it right now, but I won't. I find it so annoying. It was awesome. Why must we? Can we just have a movies, nice whatever? They're sad. <laughs> so go check that out. That's on <laughs> patreon.com slash GTTU pod right now. And a bunch of other shows. We do stuff on Patreon that we cannot do on our public feeds. So right. go find out for yourself what that means. Uh, follow at GTTU pod everywhere. Find links to all of these things, including our merch store so that he can wear Guide to the Unknown around the world on gttupod.com. Yeah. Um, All right. So, Kristen, I'm going to talk about some sailor superstitions. Awesome. Um, But one of the things that I want to call out as well, because we record this show live on YouTube, and uh, one of our viewers here, the Pete, called out something that uh, is almost a sidebar, but it's fun. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it in here because it is a sort of shipwreck. So I'm going to give you a miniature video gamey shipwreck, and then we're going to get into some real stuff. Please. So uh, there is a very popular video game called Super Mario Brothers 3. And uh, on the original Nintendo, in this game, you would find yourself going to these floating airships, literally like pirate ships that could float in the sky. And at the beginning of the level, uh, Mario 
down on the ground would be running to catch up with the ship and then grab onto the anchor and be hoisted into the sky. And at the end of each and every ship, he'd fight a big bad guy. The ship would sort of dissolve and crack apart. And then Mario would fall back down to the earth. Well, in the follow-up to this game for the Super Nintendo called Super Mario World, you've got a gigantic world map to navigate. And one of the final levels you get before you get to Bowser's World, World 8, there is in the water a cracked pirate ship just sticking out of the water and it's a level. And so when you go into this level, I, n I never really thought much of it because, you know, Mario has different kinds of themed levels and stuff to run and jump through. But yeah. when you get to this level, it's an underwater pirate ship that's filled with ghosts. That's cool. And it's because there's never continuity in Mario games. You know, like it doesn't, doesn't matter. Mario's just always saving princess peach and jumping on Goombas, but in a weird, you know, sort of case of continuity in the early Mario games in Mario world, that is one of the crashed floating ships from super Mario brothers three. And all the ghosts in it are presumably all of the, the Goomba Goombas and the Koopas that uh, crash down to the planet, the the to the to the watery depths as yeah. Mario defeated them. That's so, sweet. So weird. So yes, not like very them, weird. But to like pack it with ghosts and stuff, it, it's kind of fun. And I I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But like I said, we're doing this live, and yeah. uh, uh, Pete mentioned it. And hell yeah, it's another shipwreck. <laughs> so put it up on the big board. Uh, but yeah. Let's talk about some sailing superstitions. There are a ton of superstitions uh, out on the high seas. Part of it is that um, I, I read online the idea is that working on a ship is evidently, I, I'm not saying this, somebody online said this, dull and boring. And so you oh. just start coming up with rules for everything and viewing everything as having like incredible significance because you're really just kind of trying to pass the time. Well, you love rules. Maybe you should work on a ship. I do. I do love rules. Maybe you should work on a ship because here's one of these superstitions. No okay, bananas on board. Wait, say that again? No bananas on board. Oh my God. I'm taking to the seas. <laughs> Get on the first ship you can. I'm out. Just go, just go down to Asbury and stand on like a dock. <laughs> see if you can climb on board. Like Mario. See if there's just an anchor trailing that you can clasp onto. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there is a superstition that bananas are bad luck on a ship. It's no more complicated than literally that phrase. Bananas are bad luck on a ship. So, so I, I started looking into it a little bit. Why? Evidently, bananas rot fast. Ugh. So ships would have to move fast. And because they were trying to uh, to cross the oceans quicker, it didn't leave the crew with much time to rest or even do things like, you know, get food. So See, they're destructive. It might be a practical case of like, no, no, no. It just sucks to be on board a ship where you are, you know, shipping bananas because you don't they're have a, a moment to rest. They're a destructive force. They destroy lives. You've got a countdown. Yep. Uh, there is also a, a big old superstition about spiders and bananas. The idea that, you know, a bunch of bananas uh, provides a lot of hiding places for spiders. Oh, my God. Have you ever considered that? That if there's a bunch of bananas and you go to pick one up, there could be spiders living amongst them? 
No, I hadn't considered that. Well, feel free to put that into your repertoire. Oh, God damn it. You know, <laughs> Ryan likes bananas. Sure, he's so a So I'll buy them. Mm-hmm. We have a lovely bowl. Look, I haven't told Ryan this. I'm just telling you guys this. We got these like nice bowls, and I feel one of them is being ruined by keeping bananas <laughs> Wait, in. Wait, really? Yes. There's Why? no need for me to be a pain in the ass to Ryan and, you know, they, whatever. It's not let, let the boy have his the, nanners. I know, but this bowl is so beautiful. I would like to look upon it, but it's full of nanners. So I can't really like fully enjoy its craftsmanship. And now I have to think that there are maybe spiders in between bananas hiding. This bowl is ruined. Oh. So do you feel that if that banana, if that bowl stopped being used for bananas, could you ever use it for anything of your own? Yes. Yes, I could. Yes, You're I not could. that nuts to think you could yeah. wash it. No, no, no. Give it a wash and it's fine. You just think it deserves better. Yes. It's ex- <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way, but yes, I do. I genuinely do. <laughs> that bowl deserves better than to be relegated amongst all these nanners. It's like a beautiful handcrafted bowl that we got at a street fair. And I'm like, oh, what a waste <laughs> to put bananas in it. Well, I mistakenly thought that the spiders and the bananas uh, idea was uh, what kicked off the movie Arachnophobia. I thought that oh. spiders were shipped to the U.S., amongst you know bananas but i don't think that is the case i think it's a coffin but <laughs> i always thought that it was <laughs> that's how the, the the evil spider got here in the first place you always thought that is that I, true i thought that i thought that about the movie arachnophobia oh so you kind of knew that there was a thing with spiders and bananas before this yeah i guess so i must have <laughs> maybe they even mentioned it in that movie or something yeah because i do have an association there um uh and then the other reason why bananas might be something that you wouldn't want to have on board a ship. Bananas give off a chemical that makes fruit ripen faster. I have heard that. So if you, if you've got an unripe apple and you want to eat it like soon, put it next to a banana because the banana Mm -hmm. puts out a chemical that's going to make the the apple ripen faster. But then the downside of this obviously is that if you are trying to ship fruit to sell it or something like that, and you've got bananas amongst all that fruit, it's going to potentially ruin what you are trying to make money off of. So yeah, it hastens death. It does. It, fore, it foretells doom. Yeah, so, it, it encourages rot. Yeah. <laughs> so those are some reasons why uh, bananas uh, might be bad news on a ship. Um, here's an interesting one. I think that we're all familiar with the idea of ships having names and being referred to as she or her. You know, she's a fast one. Yeah. Um, there's a big superstition that says that uh, women should not be allowed on a ship because women are bad luck. And it's because, you know, they've got short tempers and all that kind of stuff. And yet you name your ship she constantly. I don't know. But even when you have your uh, give your ship a name, it's incredibly bad luck to change its name. So you'd better think long and hard about what name you give your ship. You cannot, cannot change your ship's name all willy-nilly. There's a whole process, and uh, here is what I found from discoverboating.com as part of that process. Um, You have to uh, start by removing the original name. There cannot be a single, not a single, usage of the original name on board the ship, Uh, and then uh, here's what you have to do as as part of the, the ceremony. You address Poseidon himself God of the sea. This is awesome. Uh, And he calls for good champagne and good friends as witnesses. Once you've gathered together on the front of the boat, here is what you recite. 
O mighty and great ruler of the seas and oceans, to whom all ships and we who venture upon your vast domain are required to pay homage, I implore you, in your graciousness, to expunge for all time from your records and recollection the name Kristen. It's the name of the old boat. Oh. Which has ceased to be an entity in your kingdom. As proof thereof, we submit this ingot bearing her name to be corrupted through your powers and forever purged from the sea. At this point, drop the metal tag over the bow into the water and then say, in grateful acknowledgement of your munificence, munificence? Yeah, <laughs> Dispensation. So. We offer these libations to your majesty and your court. Then you pour this half of awesome. the champagne in the water from east to west. Share the rest amongst yourselves. <laughs> I happen to love that. To have homage and expunge in the same speech. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a storied <laughs> speech to have both homage and expunge. You're right. That it's, is all. No, I really think that's awesome, though. That's totally I, sweet. I, I do love the pomp and circumstance. You have to. Yeah. You have to discard the old name it's before you can add the new. Po Poseidon needs to update his records, basically. Totally. But it's very much like a witchy ritual. You yeah. have to say this thing. You have to like have an offering that you display in a certain way. Totally. I'm into it. There's a lot of pop, pomp and circumstance here. Seriously, like the, the list goes on and on. I, I really, we could have done an entire episode of only these yeah. superstitions. Some are really micro. Some are really like rabbit holes to go down. Here's a Did they say, real quick about the names, did they say anything about why you would, so you don't want women aboard a ship for those stupid reasons, yes. but like, is there a reason that you want to name your ship a woman's name? Oh, that I don't know. Okay, that if you I, don't know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason. There seem to be reasons for all of these things. Right. That's yeah. like, uh, you know what it reminds me of? Did you know that it's kind of an old Italian superstition that people who have their periods shouldn't be making tomato sauce? Oh, really? Yes. No, I never heard that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. They're just all these weird like I know. superstitions out there. Like weird superstitions where you you know at at first you know you you hear it and you go okay, but what? what why? And there's not always a why. It's sort of just like no. you're not supposed to. I think it's that honestly, I know it from the Real Housewives of New Jersey because mm. there's like a certain day or something that's like a celebration thing where like everybody gets together and makes a bunch of tomato sauce okay and yeah like the, an older guy in the family was like you're not having your period are you or something to one of the women and so they briefly talked about it and i think the reason might just be you're not supposed to you're just not supposed and to. and it's you know it's rooted in right. screwed up misogyny stuff but they don't have a reason there's an origin somewhere though you know, like but the, the origin might just be fearing women. Oh yeah. It, 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 or hating it might women be. or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, here's, here's a very, very fun one. I liked this quite a bit. There is a, uh, there's an urban legend about a ship called the HMS Friday. And this stems from a superstition that it is, uh, dangerous, foolhardy, or, you know, a doomed voyage to set sail on a Friday. Friday is a bad luck day. Never been happier to have Guide to the Unknown come out on a Friday. Yeah. So uh, because of that, here's a, uh, a legend about uh, the Royal Navy uh, of England attempting to assuage people's fear of setting sail on a Friday. Sometime in the 19th century, the Royal Navy attempted to finally dispel the old superstition among sailors that beginning a voyage on a Friday was certain to bring bad luck. 
to demonstrate the falseness of this belief, they decided to commission a ship named HMS Friday. Her keel was laid on a Friday. She was launched on a Friday, and she set sail on her maiden voyage on Friday the 13th, under the command of a Captain James Friday. She was never seen or heard from again. (laughs) That's awesome. Wonderful legend. Wonderful legend about trying to say it's not bad luck, and then, man, like every horror movie, you know, they're proven wrong. Proven wrong. Here's yeah. the thing. Not true in the least. Not a true story whatsoever. There was never a ship. There was never yeah, yeah. an HMS Friday at all. Never tried. But a great, awesome, great story. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a fun one that's going to lead me into my shipwreck. Figureheads. You know what these are? These are the, yes. uh, often you'll uh, see, I think the, the stereotype of this would be a statue of a mermaid at the front of the ship. Um, almost the, uh, like she's leaning into the, into the water, sort of, uh, uh, right at the front of the ship, uh, pulling the ship ahead almost. Um, it, they've got a big history figureheads, um, shapes of creatures and animals at the front of a boat had meaning. So, uh, this is from Wikipedia about the figurehead. They say that the menacing appearance and toothy and bug eyed figureheads on Viking ships were meant to be a form of magic, serving to fun- uh, uh, serving the function of warding off evil spirits. Nice. Egyptians placed figures of holy birds on the prow, while the Phoenicians used horses to represent speed. We've got the fastest vessel in all the you know seven seas. That's why there is a big fast pony at the front of our ship. <laughs> the ancient Greeks used boar's heads to symbolize delicious deli meat. Oh, so meaningful. So meaningful. And acute vision and ferocity. Hmm. Roman boats mounted a carving of a centurion, representing valor in battle. And in northern Europe, serpents, bulls, dolphins, and dragons were customary. Um, By the 13th century, the swan was used to represent grace and mobility. Now let's get weirder. All of those things make a certain amount of sense. You want to say you got a fast ship? Put a fast horse on that sucker. But hey... Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands, they took it to a whole other level because they've got a belief of a creature that dwells within the figurehead called the Kabutermanekis. Like Kabuterplop? Maybe it's like Kabuterplop. It might be like Kabuterplop. This was, uh, we talked about Kabuterplop a million years ago. It was It's like in the first batch of episodes. It was why we learned not to use any audio other than what we make or have like purchased the rights to on this show. We got like a big copyright strike from a Netherland child show about gnomes or trolls or something. (laughs) So anyway, maybe it is, maybe it is. I hadn't thought about it because I hadn't said this word out loud, but you're right. The, the Kabutermanekis. Typically depicted as a trolly little elf thing. You can almost think of this like a, kind of like a, a nautical version of the house elves from Harry okay. Potter. Truthfully, uh, it is a nautical form of a creature called the kobold, uh, which we, I think, could easily cover someday. These do seem to be kind of like house elf type uh, notions. Evidently, some ships would carve an image of the kabutermanekis into the mast of their ship for good luck. Uh, and there are both positive and negative depictions of these guys on ships. The positive, they protect the ship and its passengers from sickness, rocks, storms, and dangerous winds. If the ship were to sink, they guide the dead soldiers' spirits 
to the land of the dead. <laughs> if there was no Kabutermanekis on the ship to begin with, your soul is cursed to haunt the sea forever. Oy. Now, even though these pals are working there to try to, you know, take care of the ship, um, there is a bad omen associated with their presence. No member of a ship blessed by his presence shall ever, ever set eyes on him. He only ever becomes visible to the crew of a doomed ship. So you better hope you never cool. see this guy. That's awesome. Let's get more negative. Uh, in some depictions, they're just blamed for everything that goes wrong on a ship. Kind of like blaming gremlins for your World War II plane getting wacky. Um, although a boat would be a very dangerous place to keep a gremlin. Yes. Uh, and they are known for playing pranks and stuff. So that's just a little bit about figureheads, those figures at the front of a ship. I'm sure it has nothing to do with my shipwreck story I'm going to tell you. Oh, I happen to think that it does. For this is the story of the Maritana. Mm -hmm. The Maritana was a 991-ton ship which crashed just off the coast of Boston on November 3rd, 1861. It was captained by G.W. Williams, and it featured the figurehead of a carving of a woman, today known as the Lady Maritana. The Maritana carried over two dozen passengers on a trip from Liverpool to Boston. Uh, the ship nearly completed the trip, but just at the end, the, uh, with the Boston lighthouse nearby, the Maritana found itself in the middle of a storm that eventually crashed the ship onto Shag Rock, killing 24 passengers and kicking off a legend of the curse that perhaps caused what bostonshipwrecks.org referred to as one of the region's most violent shipwrecks. Mm. Here is the original New York Times article from the very next day, November 4th, 1861. I love that living in the future, as we do, you can find just handy a New Yorker, yeah. a New York Times article. From, oh, yeah. You know, 200 years ago. It's really cool and weird. Yeah. Headlined. The Great Storm. Terrible shipwreck near Boston Light. That's the name of the lighthouse. Loss of the ship Maritana with 27 lives. Its effects in this city and elsewhere. A heavy northeast gale commenced at 9 o'clock last night, lasting 10 hours. A great quantity of rain fell. The noon tide today overflowed several of the wharves, doing considerable damage to goods stowed in the cellars. So high a tide has not been known for several years. This is what you get in the newspaper. Yeah, right. You know, it's both imprecise and very precise. It is flowery yeah, not, and direct. It's not all quite things. just the facts, ma'am. No. So high a tide has not been known for several years. That doesn't right. really tell me... It, it communicates it was a, a very high tide, but I don't like know the last time that happened or have any idea of the pattern of this. Yeah, what does that this mean? Common? I, I, I don't know. The ship Maritana, piloted by Williams of Providence, was traveling from Liverpool for Boston with a cargo of coal, wool, and cotton. It struck at midnight on egg rocks near Boston Light, the sea making a clean breach over her. This seems to have happened at about 3 a.m., Five hours later, Kristen, five hours later of being stuck on the rocks. And they occasionally tried to get people off the ship. 
Ugh. At 8 a.m., the ship went to pieces, and seven of the passengers and crew reached the rocks on a piece of the poop. I'm sorry? Oh, let me take that back. Seven of the passengers and crew reached the rocks on a piece of the poop. Don't laugh at it. Don't, Kristen, don't be immature and juvenile and laugh at the poop. This was a big deal, the poop. This was part of the ship. It's part of us all. The poop deck? (laughs) Don't make me laugh. (laughs) How dare you? It's a piece of us all. Yeah, the poop deck. They made it. They made it. But they just called it the poop. They straight up called it the poop at eight a.m. The ship this went to pieces. Seem like the time to be abbreviating things so casually when like a bunch of people died. Maybe the person writing this article had a great sense of humor. Maybe, Maybe. <laughs> they're just trying to lighten up the festivities. Yeah, they were like they got there on a piece of the poop. Yeah. Actually, there was a winky face emoji. Oh. Which is weird. I guess they had those. It's a clue. They had those in 1861. I had no idea. <laughs> Laughter is healing. Yeah. So maybe they just wanted to inject some of that into this article. They considered it a time to heal. It is stupid that in the year 2020 at 34 years old, I do get hung up reading this, you know, historic article because of the word poop. You know? Oh, please. It's, Who wouldn't? I, I know. Right. Anybody would. Yes. Anybody would, but I, you know, like, no, it's not stupid. World leaders could read this article. Historians, right? Like, even the stodgiest historian would look at that word and be like, huh. I'm going to change that when I say it in front of the class. Yes, of course (laughs) they would. (laughs) Of course they would. Um, William, I. Synonym for poop. Oh, that's not going to work. It's not going to (laughs) work. Okay. So. There was a special on CNN like a week ago about vice presidents and I, Ryan and I watched part of it and they were talking to both vice presidents and presidents just about the kind of the position of being a vice president. And at one point they asked both Joe Biden and Barack Obama, um, what things did they like, what moments of levity did they have? What did they laugh about together? Like, do they have like fond memories that they can share? And they both like were laughing to themselves and kind of cagey about it and being like, ah, I, yeah, I should talk to Joe about that before I uh, say whatever. My money is on poop and fart humor. You think so? I genuinely think so. They seemed like they were both, they were interviewed separately. It seemed like they were both, they were laughing about it. They're laughing about some memories being like, I don't know if I should say this thing. Um, whatever. I think if it was something more lewd or like not, you know, screen friendly, they're both savvy enough, obviously as politicians to not even bring it up. Right. But I think that there was probably something that's circling poop or fart fart humor that they briefly were kind of like, should I say this? Eh, I don't know about this. That is what my money is on. I see them as having a lot of those kinds of jokes. I'm they a- strike me as having that kind of fun. All right. Well, you said your money, you're going to, what do you think? Put your money down on it. I don't know. It could be anything. I, I don't know why you immediately <laughs> speculated to poop. Doesn't it strike you know. as a little bit weird that you're like, I bet it has something to do with the bathroom. <laughs> like, why are you? It, it truly could be anything. It I don't could know, be just something about the way they were 
it could be it could be something you know immature it could be something that they uh it would be unwise to say maybe they have an inside joke about somebody that they work with you know like there are any number of things that it could be but the idea that you're sitting at home on the couch scratching your chin going i bet it has to do with a toilet is more telling about you than them you know what (laughs) i don't disagree (laughs) it could literally be it could literally be anything (laughs) I guess the overarching vibe I got was that it was something uh-huh. immature just because of the way they were laughing about it. But you're right. I mean, immature could be a number of things. It could literally be anything. Hmm. Okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. Right. Bear in I mind, know. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying you have zero evidence and yeah, you no. seem very confident. I am pretty confident. You're right. And there's no reason for me to be. All right, that's a note. That's, okay. That's all I'm saying. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just a thought. All right, I take that in. Although I do remember that as Obama was being inaugurated, if you look in the background, you can see Biden putting his face into his hands and going. <laughs> so what was that? I don't know. What was that? Did you hear that? Yes, I did. What was that? <laughs> My half, my super fancy Apple Watch upon hearing my cool poop joke <laughs> wrote, I hope to see you soon. I guess I guess Siri is a fan of toilet humor. She went ahead and said it out loud. <laughs> Maybe the real Siri is coming to my house right now. <laughs> Maybe she's like, now that is good. I'll see you soon. That's like a yeah. threat from a robot to say I'll see you soon. I hope I never see you, Siri. I have no idea what Siri even looks like. No. Um, sorry, that was a weird few. It was a few weird few seconds here on the show. <laughs> I would say it was a weird few minutes. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Because you're not wrong. Yeah. Anyway, my doing. Anyway. So uh, uh, here's the thing about this wreck, the Maritana. Boston trip shipwrecks dot org um, has a quote from a journalist of the time saying that a more complete wreck was never seen. Fragments of the ship. And her freight strew all over the lower islands, and occasionally a mangled body is thrown upon the jagged rocks. God save us all from a death oh. like this. Oh, God. Um, and even uh, uh, this from Boston Globe now, one of the primary legends of this is that the captain of the ship, Captain G.W. Williams, they say he stayed with the ship, and the, the ship managed to hold on those rocks even though the waves were beating it. And then it eventually fell apart right under his feet. So here's from Boston Globe. At the moment the vessel parted, Captain Williams was standing on the quarter deck. He went down between the broken fragments, which closing suddenly caught the captain by the head and crushed it in a frightful manner. Oh my God. So basically... He was standing on the deck of the ship. It broke in two beneath his feet. And as he was falling through the floor, the waves pushed the ship back together on his head. That's horrible. Horrible. Uh, Two dozen. Those are grisly details to have in the New York Times or wherever it is. Well, that one's the Boston Globe. Even so, I'm surprised they got that particular and specific it is god why very intense yeah yeah um but just the the idea i really got the impression it didn't i don't know why it didn't really occur to me that a shipwreck doesn't happen fast 
But the idea no, that I've never thought about that. It spent five hours falling right. apart. You know, God. People spent five hours on board this this like ship that was actively crumbling. That's horrible. Around them, two dozen would die. Uh, including they have a, they had a list of names. New York Times, including Ed Barrett. Ed Barrett. For some of you, if you have found Ed Barrett within your Blair Witch experience of Hunter Killer, he's been ah. dead since 1861. How is that possible? Ed Barrett is one of my favorite characters, by the way. My God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Captain Williams would find a, uh, would would later be buried in the old village cemetery in Dedham. Massachusetts, where he evidently was from, along with his final resting place is a monument to the Maritana, a shattered mast wrapped with fraying rope. Mm -hmm. So, the curse. I mentioned that the Maritana had a figurehead of a woman at the front. And I've talked to you about the significance of figureheads for boats. Um, the figurehead is the bust of a woman in this case. She is wearing a sort of uh, poofy red dress it is hanging just below her shoulders, almost like a Cinderella-type dress. Her face is long and lean. Her hair is piled on top in a messy bun. And the expression on her face is barely concealed anxiety hmm. or, or the appearance of just being nonplussed. Her mouth is a flat line. Her eyes are open wide, staring straight forward. And her eyebrows are slightly raised. It is almost like she feels impatient that seems ominous just like many of the bodies of the maritana the lady the figurehead the lady maritana also washed up on the shore but unlike the unfortunate victims of the ship the figurehead was unscathed hmm. turns out that this particular figurehead didn't start with the maritana it originally came from a french warship which was later stripped for parts, and then the Lady Maritana was placed onto another ship, the Caroline, which later wrecked off the coast of Maine. Oh my God. The Lady Maritana was salvaged from that wreck and placed onto the Maritana, which is where we now know her name. The figure passed after the shipwreck of the Maritana from person to person for a few decades. She was never put back onto another ship. So Good. Hopefully the pattern was, was broken. Nobody held on to her for all that long. In 1921, it was placed in a shop on the Lincoln Wharf, which almost immediately burned down. Oh, my God. Once again, this figurehead survived. It was later placed in the old state house, which also caught on fire. So she has what? moved from water as a means of destruction to fire as a means of destruction. Is Could the paint on her be extremely flammable or something? I don't know. I don't even know if she... I, I've seen recent pictures of her, and it seems pretty pristine. Oh, if she's pristine, then that wouldn't matter. Yeah, exactly. That is so weird. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, from That's... what I can tell, she is presently on display at the Old State House Museum where nothing terrible has happened mm. yet. Ugh, that's really cool and interesting. I would like to see that. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to uh, uh, over, 
oversell the appearance of her as, you know, being uh, particularly horrific or anything. She's not. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, I would expect either a, a, a truly neutral expression or like when you think about like even Greek statues, just statues right. in general, usually the expression on them is usually of like pride mm-hmm. or just sort of like a peaceful sort of like tranquility. Right. And I find her expression to just sort of be. She looked like she has RBF. <laughs> I don't know if I would. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know. I don't know if I would. I would say that she seems uh, uh, intimidating. Huh? Yeah, that's she seems really like somebody cool. you don't want to mess with, and for good reason. She has survived right. two shipwrecks and two fires. Yeah, this is a broad. This is a this brassy, is a da- <laughs> brassy gal. She's been through some stuff. The Lady Maritana. That's uh, really cool. So there you go. Some sailor superstitions and another. Big shipwreck, the the most violent shipwreck Boston Harbor has ever seen. Oh, God. Wild. Well, this was very interesting. I loved this. I loved this. I'm, uh, it's so funny. I never really think of it, but I really do love the 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 sort of tone and vibe of things set at sea i do too yeah i do too there's the isolation of it all the literal darkness a lot of the time um it's really interesting it's sort of its own culture yes yes it definitely seems to be yeah so it was it was really fun to look into this stuff i would i would like to do it again there are certainly enough sailor superstitions to carry an entire episode i think and probably unfortunately also shipwrecks so, oh, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. And hauntings and stuff. Mm-hmm. We've still never even covered like the Bermuda Triangle here. No, right? I, I want to. That's been on our spreadsheet forever. Maybe so we'll, we'll have, have to get to that someday soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but there well, you go, thank everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, if you did, please do some of those things that Will talked about before, like leaving us a review, joining our Patreon, um, and letting people know about the show who might enjoy it as well. Make sure you go to gttupod.com for links to everything we have out there. And you can also follow us us individually online. I am at Chillin' Kristen. I am at The Myth Traveler. Uh, traveling on the high seas. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you all so much for hanging out with us. We will be back next week for more uh, spooky stories. Woo! God, they're scary. You know, there's been a trend in some of our reviews lately on Apple Podcasts that I, I agree with. This is this is not a ding or anything, but this is like a scary story podcast that is not scary. Right? Yeah. Like, we don't typically do things on this show that, like, are meant to frighten you, the listener. But no. I do think that the sort of, some of the concepts and some of the conversations that we have really end up living in my head for a while. Yeah. Like, I think that there are things to, like, chew on and think about. And yes. this is an episode where, like, I don't know if, if any of this is going to scare anyone out there, like, listening to this episode. But mm-hmm. I really think that some of the ideas that we're talking about are really unusual and interesting. Uh, yeah. It's fun to do this. Anyway. I uh, absolutely feel the same way. Yeah. We'll be back next time, everybody. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld, go we. Perhaps we take the seas to the netherworld this time. (laughs) I don't know about that. Get on a boat, the banana boat. Doesn't that? Oh, that makes banana boat take on a whole new 
kind of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> banana the banana boats. boat is cursed. This ain't your granddaddy's banana boat. This one's safe. 